Welcome to Black Family Table Talk. We are your hosts, Tony and Tony. Listen in weekly as we discover ways to build a strong black family. What are we going to discuss today, Tony? Parenting Part 2, Our Adult Children Speak. Today we have two of our children. Please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Hi, y'all. I'm really excited to be on with you all today, my loving mom and dad. Uh, my name is Cam Henson, and I'm a uh, naval officer. Hello. My name is Toby Henson, and I am an architect. All right. So tell us a little bit more about um, <laughs> your journey and your background, your educational background. Absolutely. Uh, so I graduated from Brookwood High School in 2012 uh, down in the Gwinnett County area down in Georgia, um, and then I enrolled in the United States Naval Academy um, in Annapolis, Maryland, where I uh, earned my bachelor's in science and economics. And then from there, I graduated and became a commissioned as a naval officer, uh, specifically in the supply and logistics realm, doing a lot of the, the financial aspect for the Navy. It was kind of the best way to describe it in short. Cool. Kobe? I graduated high school in 2015. From there, I enrolled in Hampton's five-and-a-half-year master's degree program for architecture. I just recently graduated this past May uh, with my master's in architecture, and now I am full-time working with the Department of Navy in the capital improvement business line. How would you describe our parenting style? I would say growing up, a lot of people would say, do you have strict parents or do you have lenient parents? I think you guys are both a, a good balance. You guys uh, reverse roles a lot. Sometimes dad was strict, sometimes mom was strict. So it was a good um, balance between strict and kind of lenient to let her do, uh, make our own mistakes. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I would, the word that I probably use would be intrusive. In college, we learned about intrusive leadership. And the word intrusive can kind of sometimes have a kind of a negative tone to it. Um, but I think it's a good thing. Intrusive leadership is just being super involved um, in all aspects of our lives. Um, whether it be sports, academics, our social lives. I felt like you guys were always super involved and very strict, too, um, like Kobe kind of talked about. I joke around with some folks on my ship just about some of the things that we weren't able to do, which didn't feel like that big of a deal then, uh, but there were definitely a bunch of restrictions uh, put in place on us. There's a lot of structure. Uh, We had very structured lives, um, a lot of very structured talks and conversations and things uh, to make sure that we were going down the right path. So, in two words, probably intrusive and structured. <laughs> That's interesting. Very interesting. All right, let me ask you a question. Share a story about some of your fondest memories growing up. I think that for me, our, my memories that are the most fondest were unique memories. Um, I felt that you guys and your parenting style, a lot of the times, went outside of the box. They didn't do the traditional route and a lot of different things. So with you guys not going down the traditional route, you exposed us to a lot of non-traditional things, a lot of unique experiences that I'd say um, a lot of people my age when I was a child, um, did get experience. Um, we traveled a bunch, um, were involved in different clubs and sports and things. So I think that just overall, um, the unique experiences that you guys provided, uh, whether it be going to the Dominican Republic or doing golf lessons, or where all my fondest memories, plural, come from. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that, Kim. A lot of the fondest memories that I have are during the summertime. Um, yeah, yeah. Just the things that we would do during the summer, golf, 
kind of vacation Bible school uh, mom's camp that she had, Camp Olive Tree. Uh, hey, you remember the song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're from Camp Olive Tree. How can we tell? We <laughs> Are you swell? I tell you, campers are happy. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, mostly these summers are the most memorable um, experiences of my childhood. Yeah, we had some pretty good summers. Good. All right, you guys. What was the biggest lesson taught that you wish you had listened to? <laughs> One of the biggest lessons I always think about is when I was probably about 16, 17, and it was around the time where um, I was looking for colleges. I was trying to think about where I would go next and everything. I kind of knew I wanted to do architecture for a really long time. It was just a matter of what school had the best architecture program. So one day, we're supposed to go to North Carolina A&T on a Saturday morning. We're supposed to drive down. It's going to be a five-hour drive. And I remember waking up Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, and I walked into uh, y'all's room, and I was like, (laughs) what are we doing? Aren't we supposed to be in North Carolina? <laughs> and you guys looked at me like just chilling, sitting around watching TV. Up and, and they were like, yeah, aren't you supposed to be in North Carolina? And I was like, yeah, did y'all wake me up? <laughs> and then dad was like, we're supposed to wake you up? <laughs> and I was like, Wow. And <laughs> just like that just clicked for me. And I was just like, you know what? No, you're not supposed to actually. <laughs> and the biggest lesson I learned from that was like, if you want it, go get it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's coming with you. If you want it, go and get it. And I needed, I just learned that I just needed to want things a little bit more for myself and, um, you know, not really rely on you guys waking me up. <laughs> to go take me to a college visit. That's probably one of the biggest lessons. I forgot all about that. That's the, that's the first time I'm hearing that story. <laughs> that was a, a shocking moment for me. <laughs> Very shocking moment. <laughs> that is funny. That, that, that sounds like us. <laughs> yeah, I was so mad that I missed the tour and everything. And it was all my fault. <laughs> What about you, Cameron? I, w- I wish that I um, read more. You guys always preached about, you know, reading books. I hadn't really read outside of schoolwork reading until really within the last, like, six months. I wish I took the lesson and just read more and became more knowledgeable on things um, in the world that weren't necessarily taught in school. It's kind of interesting. I- I'm, you know, super grateful for the school that I went to and the college that I went to, but we didn't talk about our history at my college. In my high school, we didn't talk about our story. I'm kind of late in the game as far as just knowing and reading on what went on in the black community, you know, over the last 400 plus years. And I just wish I had listened to you guys and you guys just told us to read more. Okay. I agree with that too. Okay, good point. We, we had the books. Yeah, you guys sure did. You had a huge library of books. Huge library. That you guys still have. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let me ask another question. At what age did you think you broke the code and everything fell in place for you? Oh, um, for me, it was 17. I think for me, it was 18, I say. 18. Wow. Describe your thought process. Um, 
I honestly think there's a really very crucial and critical part of your life in the age of like 15, 16, 17, where you can go one of two ways. You know, that, you know taking the SATs, those are the, the years that are going to be the, the most important for colleges or that be you're playing sports. And I think that moving from New Jersey to Georgia was really tough for me because I had my friend in New Jersey. Um, I had the environment and I had, you know, coming down to start high school in Georgia uh, was somewhat of a culture shock because the two, Hopewell, compared to, you know, the Gwinnett County area is, is really different. And I think that when I turned 18, I, I, I kind of felt a little bit more sure of who I was and who I wanted to be. And I knew that, you know, that what I wanted to do was kind of follow in the lead that you guys had put out in front of us. And a lot of it came with having the right people um, around me, whether it be coaches, you know, parents that were that were super involved and attentive. And I really just felt like I just learned about who I wanted to be and what path I wanted. From there, I never really wavered. Um, I knew that I didn't want to do drugs because I knew that I wanted to play college football. I knew that I didn't want to get in trouble because I knew that it was going to affect football and grade and stuff like that. So I think that 18 years old for me was like that. And I've kind of been who I have been since then. That's interesting. Well, I would honestly say that I went through two different periods of um, when I felt like I broke the code. But definitely after graduating high school, I was definitely kind of confused on where I wanted to do, what, who I wanted to be, where did I want to go, just because a lot of people that I knew were just kind of doing the same thing. But I knew there was, I knew other people that did a totally different thing. The year after I came home from Hampton, that's when I kind of discovered, I guess, my gift in architecture. Growing up, like, you guys always inspired me to pursue um, architecture because I was very creative and I liked to design and decorate the house and do interior stuff. But after my first year in architecture, um, everybody said it was going to be so hard, it was going to be rigorous and everything, and it truly was. But after that year, I got most improved. I kind of felt like, okay, now this is what I'm meant to be. This is, this is it. And then I traveled to France third year, summer of my junior semester year. And after that, I turned 21. And when I turned 21, I feel like a light bulb just went off. <laughs> and I kind of just got redirected into what my path was actually supposed to be, who I wanted to be, and I kind of deterred from that path a little bit second year and third year. And then when I traveled to France and I started to draw more and I got really good at drawing, that was like another self-discovery moment in my life where I was like, okay, this is what this is my passion. This is what I'm supposed to do. And everything else just clicked right behind that. Um, you know, as a black woman, as a black architect, as just um, a woman in America, a lot of stuff started clicking. A lot of I started doing reading more, like Cam said, and just really discovering where I came from, the things that I went through, and the things that were instilled in me as a child, and then even the lessons that I learned in college too, as well. Just a lot of things were clicking for me. Excellent. I'm learning today about you guys, and I just want you to know I'm I'm just so super proud of you and the fact that you are so introspective and thoughtful. A lot of people go through life just kind of just going with the flow. How would you attribute your raising to being this self-aware? I think for me, 
you can't get away in our family, and that's not even just our immediate family, um, without being self-aware. Because if you're not, you're going to get exposed. <laughs> People in our family are going to tell you, you know, their opinion. Um, they're going to tell you what they think, whether it's your grandma or Molly. Yeah. They're gonna tell you what they do. so if you if you don't if you don't have a level of self awareness the only time you hear about it is gonna be hearing it from somebody else and you're gonna hear it from somebody else. Uh, we grew up in a family where the standard was there. You're gonna hear about it when you step outside of the standard. So it will behoove of you to kind of know what's going on in your own life and not not move with uh, lackadaisically because you're gonna get exposed. Um, and then with that also too being centered in Christ the way our family is, that's very biblical. And knowing when you're wrong um, and knowing when you have to adjust um, and, 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 you know, fly right and get right. Yeah, I definitely think we had people around us in our life that held us accountable for our actions. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, Grandma, Aunt Lolly, Aunt Tommy, Aunt Wanda, um, just a lot of people, a lot of oversight. I guess, you know, they say it takes a village <laughs> to raise a family. So I definitely think that's true. But also, growing up, you guys are thinkers, and you guys helped us become thinkers. Just to think about, like, the actions that we take, definitely a lot of reflecting <laughs> of our actions happen as growing up. And I think that comes from a, yeah, a biblical point of view, as well as just y'all's uh, structured parenting style, you know. Just think about what you do before you do it. And it was really just as simple as that. Very good. Very good. Wow. As you were growing up, give me something that was a difficult moment you had to overcome at each stage of your life. Probably the biggest thing that I had to overcome during my childhood was my basketball career. I loved playing basketball growing up, and I was very good in elementary school and uh, middle school. And once I got to high school, I remember that this was just going to be the start of my basketball career. Going into uh, high school, I was just go through the line, go make ninth grade JV varsity, then play for college. But my sophomore year of high school, I tore my ACL and fractured two of my meniscus. And that was a huge, huge setback. And just the plans that I had for myself, it was very hard to overcome because it was just, you know, it was so unexpected. I never knew that you could tear an ACL. So I never really knew about the injury and everything, just learning about the injury and what I had to overcome to get through it, going to physical therapy for almost a year. That was a huge thing that I had to overcome. But honestly, I would not have been able to do it without mom. Um, she just really, like, helped me, um, nursed me, was my physical therapist for, like, the first three weeks doing exercises, trying to raise my leg, trying to bend it back. And I really had to learn how to walk again. And when I came back and when I was ready to, you know, play basketball and everything, I just realized that, like, I didn't – I just knew that there was something greater. And, like, maybe the plans that I had for myself wasn't really my plan. And that's when I really started heavily getting into architecture. I took a class in high school, and then I went to Maxwell and everything, and then I went to MIT over the summer. And just, like, a whole world kind of just opened up for me where I saw myself outside of being a basketball player um, and surely being just creative and artistic and really trying to pursue that side of me. 
that was a huge point in my life where I had to overcome something that uh, kind of crushed my spirit a little bit, but it was for a better purpose. Wow. Wow, that was something. <laughs> yeah, um, I think for me, middle school and high school was identity um, was my biggest challenge. We lived in Hobo, New Jersey, and uh, for the vast majority of my time there, uh, I was the only black kid in every class. And that presented a, a difficult set of challenges, a very different set of challenges, and always feeling like you have to be the poster boy for all things black. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with that a lot growing up because I felt that I was always being judged for a bunch of different things and anything that was black at all, I had to be the one to answer to it. So that was a huge challenge for me. I think high school, the biggest challenge was I am a people pleaser by nature and wanting to fit in in a different environment, but not wanting to lose who I was and still make the right decisions. I had, I'm very blessed to have had an overall pretty smooth, easy high school experience as far as my social life is concerned. But, you know, wanting to fit in uh, was always something that I struggled with in high school. My biggest kind of struggle actually honestly came in college. I had a really, really difficult second year in college. Um, I had a lot of loss. We lost grandpa, and this was all during what they call plebe year at the Naval Academy. So for some context for people who don't know, um, while you're freshman at the Naval Academy. Um, you're not allowed to wear civilian clothes. You're not allowed to go off the yard. You're only allowed to leave campus from noon to noon on Saturdays. You're not allowed to walk in the hallways. You're not allowed to use curved paths. You can only use straight paths. You're not allowed to use media. You're not allowed to play video games. Everyone you address is with a sir sandwich. You say, sir, good afternoon, sir. Sir, good morning, sir. Then there's a whole period of when you can have People coming into your room, and if they don't like the way your room looks, they'll throw everything on the ground. Um, and then you get called back to clean it up, and then they'll throw it back onto the ground again. And that's for an entire year. Um, so in, during this year, um, grandfather passed away, Aunt Tommy passed away, Uncle Mootsy passed away, a godfather passed away, and my football locker buddy, so I shared a locker with a really good friend of mine. He was one of my best friends back then. Will McCamey passed away on the football field. Um, so this was all in a matter of about six months. Wow. So I think all of that happened, and then I um, tore both of my labrums and my shoulder, and uh, not being able to go home for Christmas was tough. I didn't go home for Thanksgiving either because we had some football commitments. And then tearing my shoulder soon after and forcing me to retire from football uh, was a very, very difficult kind of transition for me. And then kind of moving from the safety net that the football team provided culturally, because a lot of African-American football players, a lot of black football players, a lot of football players from all different places in the world, and kind of being thrown to the wolves of the Naval Academy construct, uh, which is very conservative, which is very critical of black culture, and then kind of feeling like I had to find myself again. And and, and that was a tough kind of transition for me, Um, moving away from playing sports, which kind of dominated a lot of my life, um, to no longer being an athlete, kind of trying to find my way through a institution where I didn't have a lot of people that look like me outside of the football team. The football team did their own thing and kind of trying to find friends, um, people with like minds were, when they were far and few in between. So in those difficult times for both of you, what do you think carried you through or what did you, what was your fallback to give you strength to get through those moments? Great question. I think for me, 
I probably listen to the voices of others too much and wanting to always in those challenging times prove the people who didn't believe that I belonged, uh, whether it be because of the color of my skin or wherever the case may be, uh, and proving those folks wrong. You know, always wanted to make sure that I represented and I enjoyed having you guys be proud of me. So I knew that if in those challenging times I could fall back on the motivation of you guys and knowing that I was partly doing it for you and then knowing that I wanted to prove those people wrong and the reason that I can't stop. No matter how challenging the situation is, you can't stop. You have people that, that, that are rooting for you back home, and I think that strong foundation that I had back home um, and knowing that you guys were proud of me motivated me to not fall back when times got hard. Um, to kind of just keep that one foot in front of the other or one boot in front of the other, as the Marine Corps says, and keep pushing forward. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, would, uh, I would kind of say the same thing. Just the part of, like, wanting to overcome and wanting to get past this period of time in my life and understanding that it's just a certain time. You know, Mom always says it's not the end of the world until it's the end of the world. And just understanding that, you know, the, the period in my life or whatever – Obstacle, I have to overcome the word overcome. Like, you literally have to overcome it. So just knowing that it's not permanent, it's temporary, and trying to get to the other side of that is just comes with motivation um, and determination. I learned from my parents, get your love from home. When you go out into the world, don't expect the world to love you. My thing was I wanted to make sure you guys felt love at home because the world is so cruel. you got to at least be able to walk into the door and feel wanted and cared for. And that was important to me, and I, and I always used to ask you guys, do you feel love? Do you remember that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I ask that all the time, yeah. Well, someone taught me some years ago that every child should have someone that is crazy about them in their life. So I always wanted to make sure I inspired you guys and whatever you were trying to do, be your cheerleader as opposed to the opposite. So that's that's how I looked at it. I may not have gotten it right all the time, but that's what that was my hope. I think you got it right 100% of the time, especially them girls. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> Let's uh, wrap it up. I, I, what I would love for you each to say, one thing that didn't work, <laughs> one one piece of advice or parenting style or strategy that absolutely didn't work, and then what did you learn being raised by us that you'll teach your own children if and when you have them? <laughs> um, I think the one thing that didn't work, you and your dad are both yellers. <laughs> yeah. Yelling yelling never really worked with me. Yeah, if the voice if the voice got above a certain volume I just didn't listen. Um so I don't think yelling <laughs> was something something that I'm gonna take to my children. I'm gonna try to stay as calm and possible. Uh my children for them, uh for their growth is is just to always go above and beyond and raise the bar. And I do remember hearing that from you guys, the whole bunch is raising the bar. You can always do more. Um, you can always elevate yourself. Um, you can always step your game up. And uh, don't go to school to be a clown, like Dad said. <laughs> um, I would like to add one more person that I learned from, and that's my Uncle Lenny. 
Um, one thing that has always impressed me about Uncle Lenny is his consistency in his faith. Uh, Uncle Lenny has always been incredibly consistent, how he searches for the word and his heart for God's word and his heart for the Holy Spirit to be in his life. And that's always been something that I've tried to emulate some parts of my life. I haven't always been the best at it, um, but it's something I would, without a doubt, teach that to my children. I would say uh, one thing that I think you guys went a little bit overboard with were the lectures. Um, (laughs) I mean, like, two-hour lectures uh, whenever, you know, you guys are trying to teach us a lesson or teach us uh, whenever we got in trouble. I think a little 30-minute would have definitely sufficed or I'm disappointed in you. Uh, definitely would have worked, <laughs> but I just remember um, just sitting in y'all's room and just hearing y'all for a good two hours. Whatever I did, <laughs> no matter how small or big, um, you know, it's kind of like a class. I think, yeah, the lectures kind of went a little bit too long. Um, I think you guys got your point across, or I definitely felt guilty and wanted to reflect a good 30 minutes in. Well, that's one thing I will not continue. <laughs> um, but um, one thing I will do is go in the extra mile, feed your expectations, and um, know that, like, anything is possible. You guys always say you can do anything in the world if you put your mind to it. And that's very true. Yeah, as long as you put your mind to it, you can do it. So I would definitely teach that to my kids. Fantastic. So we want to wrap it up. I'm sitting here beaming with joy. I'm extremely proud of both of you guys. And it means a lot to me to hear that we were able to make a difference and not see the growth you guys have made, which has been tremendous. And the sky's the limit for all of our children. And just keep God first in your life and reflect on those moments. That's all I have to say. Black Family Table Talk. That's what's up. All right. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Black Family Table Talk. We pray that you've heard some principles to put into your strong black family toolbox. Be sure to tune in next week and remember, sharing is caring. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com. Look for special discounts and ways to be part of the Black Family Table Talk community. As a part of our mission to do our part to strengthen black families, we endorse small black owned businesses. This is our way of strengthening black families economically. This week's small black business spotlight is on Shea Shea La Femme Shea Butter. It's the best shea butter I've ever tried. And it comes in a variety of fragrances. Just visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com and you'll see a special link for a 20% discount. Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowances made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comments, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. The news and opinions expressed on Black Family Table Talk do not necessarily reflect various platform hosts. All type topics are for entertainment purposes only. Discretion is strongly advised and all commentary is alleged. This is a Micah 68 Media LLC production.